Welcome everybody to another episode of my uh, podcast and this isn't just another episode, this is in fact the 100th episode of my uh, podcast. I need a kind of fanfare thing going on like an air horn. Yes, Neil, for those of you listening rather than watching it, Neil, my guest, is doing a, a kind of a trumpet, a, a trumpet, a trombone, I think we're going for now, uh, a piece there. And um, I met Neil Malarkey through a coaching session that uh, he ran for um, this site I am now uh, working with called Enrich Your Pitch. And it was really interesting and fascinating and kind of put us to our paces on how you can learn from, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but kind of the, the, the way comedy is written the way different styles of comedy work, especially around improvisation, because we have to improvise at times if you're pitching, if you're on a, whether that's a cold call, whether that's in front of clients, whether it's just in life generally, you may get a response you're not, uh, not expecting. And um, I then went to, I put Neil's name into, into Google. I was just talking to Neil in, the, in the, the green room, as it were, and his Wikipedia page came up. And yeah, I mean, wow, I hadn't quite, uh, forgive me, Neil, uh, realize the uh, the richness of your career thus far with some comedic greats like Mike Myers and Eddie Izzard and, and others. Um, but I will now uh, shut up because this is all about you and not about me, uh, as I mentioned. So Neil, uh, who, what, why, when, uh, where? And then I'm really interested to see where this one goes. <laughs> well, thank you, Alex. You were a very good student, I must say, because... Uh... I ask people to send in a 60 second WhatsApp video to see how they come across and you come across very well. Then I discover, of course, you're a professional in this. But my work has been many decades and I've worked with Mike Myers, who I met soon after coming out of university. Then I worked with Eddie Izzard. I've done shows with Dawn French, Sheila Hancock, Bits and Bobs of Telly with uh, Mel Smith, Griff Rees-Jones, Richard Briers. Um, all sorts of people, uh, Eric Sykes, Christopher Biggins, Nairi mm. Dawn Bortra, I did uh, Charlie's Aunt. So I've done theatre, film, television. But the last sort of 20 years or so, I've mostly done what I did with you, Alex, which is to teach people the skills of improv combined with other theatre skills. So how do we tell stories? But improv is how do I really listen to the other person and use what they give me? It's not exactly what you might expect, actually, because improv, you might think, oh, how do I make jokes? And of course, it tends to be funny on the stage. But improv is actually something that started with a social worker in the 1920s in Chicago. She was working with children, inner city children, deprived children, maybe not native speakers. And she created exercises to give them confidence to speak up. And then it was her son who made a form of theatre by 1959 that became Second City Theatre Company. And I'd heard of that because I knew about Saturday Night Live. How come I knew about Saturday Night Live? Because I liked a film called The Blues Brothers. And then I discovered loads of people had come from Saturday Night Live. And many of them had come from Second City, Chicago, which was where it all started in 1959 with Second City Theatre Company. But I've gone back to where it started, which is giving people confidence to speak up, confidence to think on their feet, confidence that whatever situation they face, they can cope with it. And that's widely applicable, as you said, in business and in life. Uh, the one I did with you was called Enrich Your Pitch. But mm -hmm. we're kind of always pitching something to somebody, even if it's just to say, come to this restaurant on holiday. Or will you get to bed, eight-year-old? Or to a business partner saying, actually, you know, I think we could do some great stuff if we work together. So um, I loved the show business. But there were times when I was on a set 
in my makeup by 8am and not be on until 4pm. And you tend to just sit around thinking, uh, which is the best job here? And I look, the producer and the director, they're the ones thinking and working all the time. So I did go on a few director courses. Mm -hmm. um, and that was my midlife crisis. Then the various people sort of said, oh, what about this? So I went to see a barrister. Um, and so I did a mini pupillage. So for a week, I sort of shadowed a barrister. I thought, well, that looks fun. Then I went to see somebody who said, yeah, it'll take a couple of years because you've got to qualify. I don't have a law degree. And he said, you know what? I do amateur dramatics. I love it. <laughs> I could see that he was as sort of envious as I thought I was of him. And various people said, you know what? You can bring your theatre skills, especially improv, to the world of business. And of course, it's brought me to meet interesting people like you, Alex. Uh, it's taken me across the world before the pandemic, 24 countries since the pandemic, double that probably. Mm. And people are kind of scared of what I do, but also delighted by it. And so I like being that disruptive influence and making them think, oh, actually, the way I've done things isn't necessarily the best. Or can I borrow the skills that bloke uses on the stage in what I do in real life? And so I've seen all sorts of public sector, private sector, large, multinational, small startups. And there's so much in common, which is basically how do I tell my story? How do I bring what I do to this person's life? How do I say to her or him, we could do something together? Or isn't it interesting what I do? I bet I could solve one of your problems. And that's basically what it is. But um, when I was your age, Alex, in my mid-twenties, I was thinking I'd be, I'd be in showbiz. I might start a production company. Um, and so I was excited to work with the famous names that I mentioned. And then more and more, I realised that I kind of a calling elsewhere. And I don't do much showbiz, but my my friend Mike Myers did last uh, last year ask me to be in the Pentaverit, which is his new mm -hmm. series on Netflix, which opened on the fifth of May, twenty twenty two. But you said no. Well, you said yes. I don't know. I haven't watched it. <laughs> I said yes. Ah, so, yes, indeed. Um, it was one of those things where it was small. The part was small enough that I could fit it in between my existing engagements but large enough that I got to spend five days with Mike on set and I had a nice costume, um, lovely hat. And uh, I'm formerly known as the Mustache Man. Right. Um, I can't say much more than that, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but he crops up every now and again. And uh, it was enormous fun to do that. So I, Dawn French, sorry, uh, not Dawn French, but Jennifer Saunders was on yeah. that. So I, I worked with French and Saunders. I was in a uh, show with Dawn French and for... For some years, I used to bump into French and Saunders when I was on the telly. I was doing a thing called O1 for London, which is kind of listings magazine on TV. They would review shows. And then I did a thing called Behind the Screen, which was BBC promoting its own shows, really. So mm. interviewed them and various other uh, actors who were doing BBC shows. So I kind of, um, uh, I've been there or thereabouts. And it's kind of interesting to watch these amazing, talented people. And you've mentioned Eddie Izzard and Mike Myers, and I'd, I'd include Dawn French in that. They work hard. They really mm. concentrate. And though they have natural ability, which um, actually both Mike and Eddie would say, actually, we've done our 10,000 hours. Yeah. They hone it. And both of those men are always learning 
that's my big advice to people is never give up learning. It's good for your brain. It's good for your psyche. They want to know, how do we do that? Oh, yeah, Eddie Izzard. I'll do my show in German. I'll do my show in French. <laughs> <laughs> Things slightly mad, actually, because we could just rest on his laurels. But he's always looking for a new thing. Uh, Alex, I'm sure you thinking you might ask me a question at some point, but I'm just going to carry just, on talking. I'm just, I just enjoy hearing your, uh, your, you, you talk and your, your, your dulcet tones are very good for radio, but then you do that anyway. Um, but actually, without by design, that's, that's an interesting segue around kind of the 10,000 hours and we should always be, be learning based on some conversations that I was having with a partner um, earlier this uh, week around we were um, kind of noodling over what, what are the challenges that sales leaders face uh, today? And it was around um, how do you know if your sales team actually care or you care about you, the business and the products that you solve. But just park, park that thoughts there for the for the moment. So for the uh, for the listeners and the, the viewers, uh, improvisation, we've already kind of touched on touched on it. But fundamentally, what 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 are the mechanics of improvisation and how? might someone start to think differently or want to learn more about it, how you could apply that in a business context versus the, the Saturday Night Live type sort of <laughs> improvisation? Well, it's a good question. And we actually do Sundays, comedystoreplayers.com, hashtag CSplayers. So we're there every Sunday at the Comedy Store in London. Um, and I talk about improv because improvisation, not everyone would think that's got anything to do with business because you can't just make it up. Mm -hmm. I was doing a session once at London Business School talking about improvisation. And uh, this guy studying for his MBA after about 15 minutes said, what do you mean lying? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. Because he wasn't a, na a native speaker. But so improvisation, making it up, making it up is lying. I said, no. So I, I talked about, about improv. So mm -hmm. there's a form of theatre which has been around for 100 years and has given many performers, writers, directors, even the former chief executive of Twitter. Uh, they've done courses in improv and that's helped them become a performer, director, whatever, or something else. So this body of work was kind of trial and error. There was a group called The Committee, which then eventually sort of became the, well, had a lot in common with Second City. But they kind of realized that their intuitive sense of drama is conflict actually didn't lead to great stories and great scenes. Now, while there may be conflict between characters, you want the performers to listen to one another. Uh, you don't want them to negate the other person's reality. So to use the phrase. So we tend to think about using a yes and mindset rather than yes, but. And so I have made my own thing. Oh, look, I've got it here. I've got it on a beer mat. Should quickly show it to you. Um, because I call it lager. When I did it online with you, Alex, I called it laser because I you didn't did. need a beer mat. But it's kind of, and this is my five words to summarize a mm -hmm. hundred years of practice. Okay. Of people, uh, the shoulders are of people I stand on. So it's about listen, really listen. What's she saying? So I mean, if I'm in a scene, what's the offer? Treat what they say as a gift. And then I accept what they say. Then I give an offer based on what they say, kind of throwing it back, building mm -hmm. on their idea. Then for me, the interesting one is the next one is to explore assumptions. You know, what, what, why today? Why are these two characters? Mike Myers used to say, we always have to say, why have the gods of improv chosen this moment for these two characters to meet? Because some improv scenes can be very boring. If there's no kernel of truth in there, there's no mm -hmm. emotion, there's no status, there's no development. In fact, most 
of the time you want your character to learn something in the scene if you like so a bad improv scene is oh hello who are you oh i'm just a guy what's going on well there's something over there there's no emotion there's no interest there's no status there's no development mm -hmm. um, now that's how to create story in improv now the very simple fact of listening to what the other person's saying is vital so treating what they say as an offer so Here's the one I tend to use is I start a scene. I ask the audience for a location. They say hospital. And I'm in a scene with somebody else. It's not stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. so stand-up comedy is one person talking to the audience. Say, have you ever noticed hospitals? Aren't they? No. I start a scene. So as if we, I'm in a hospital, a, good morning, doctor, I say to my colleague. And she might go, good morning, nurse. So the offer, we've given morning. We've given nurse. We've given mm -hmm. uh, doctor. So that I've really taken what she said and I become the nurse, I become the doctor. Now, of course, we also talk about choice, because if I say good morning, doctor, to you, you might think, well, it, well, hang on, if I'm a doctor, you must be a patient. So I'm like, good morning, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Lowe. How are you? Are your legs better? And I go, oh, right. Well, why has he said leg? But my job is to make the other person look good. Mm -hmm. So I don't go, what are you talking about? That's nonsense. I go, leg. Yeah, leg. How do I make leg work? Leg better therefore i'm playing football again and the other person goes oh football didn't expect that didn't know that mm -hmm. my job is to make that person's offer work and i go football yes i heard you scored three goals at the weekend so that's kind of the basis of improv but of mm -hmm. course sometimes it might go good morning doctor and the other person goes i'm not a doctor ah we call that a block alex now and then i would say that i'm sure you've experienced a block in life work yeah. relationships yeah, <laughs> not quite as obvious as that. But when the client, the colleague or family member says no, or that wasn't how I saw it. And the improviser is going, that feels like a block, but actually it's an offer in disguise. So there's always mm -hmm. something I can use that the other person's given me that I can build on. And, and I try and always get people to think about when was there a moment when your client said something that really bewildered you? Mm -hmm. And the temptation is to go, Right, better ignore that and carry on. <laughs> and of course, the clever thing is to say, ah, that's how you feel. That's how you see the world. Let's use that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm just going on and you're turning off because I haven't taken note of what you say and the difference that you might have in your view of the situation. So the number of times people say, oh, yeah, we actually made a big breakthrough because they articulated how they see the world differently. And we use that. And there are counter examples, which is we just carried on and the client just kind of turned off yeah. one time. <laughs> they said, client just got up and walked out because we said, well, we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about anyway. Well, why am I here then? So, so the improv thing is really about reframing what the other person says as an offer. So if I'm going to go deep here, and Alex, I think your leaders, your readers, your listeners can, <laughs> and viewers can, uh, can go for this. So yep. there, it's kind of one, there's one level. It's an interpersonal skill. How about yep. conversations? And when you're chatting to somebody at a party or a networking event, you just go, yeah, tell me more about that. And you kind of, whatever they say, you'll use that and throw it back. And no, oh, he's, he's listened to me. You, you yes, and. But also in a, a kind of broader sense, um, improv mindset, which is I can't control the world. I can't control what happens. I can't control what they're thinking, feeling. I might not even know what I can controlling myself mm -hmm. so how do i hold lightly a plan a strategy such that i've got something to go on but it's not so rigid so eisenhower said planning is vital but your plan is dead as soon as you hit the enemy so it doesn't mean 
improvise all the time, which is, hey, I, today I'm just going to go uh, to that shop and I won't go to work and I'll just talk to somebody and see what happens. Um, so you have, you've got a little to-do list, so you have a bit of a plan, but then that plan is held lightly. That's, that's mm -hmm. kind of the improv mindset, because I do remind people that when you come and see a show, ComedyStorePlayers.com, at the Comedy Store in London, 7.30 p.m. every Sunday, we know some things. We know it starts at 7.30. We know it finishes at 9.30. We know the six performers. We know the games we're going to play. We know the comedy stores organize the food, the drinks, the security, the lights, the insurance. So there's kind of sufficient structure, but not so much structure that we can't use what yeah. the audience gives us. So, so that's what my friends at business school talk about, minimal structure, maximum autonomy. And that as a leadership pretext, I think that's pretty good, is how do I make my team feel that it's not just a complete piece of chaos. Uh, there's some structure, there's some guide rails, but I can do my thing within that. And I think it's, and again, I'm now kind of all, all the, the emotions are now coming back in terms of working with you on the, uh, on the piece. So if I kind of flip that into, let's just take, um, pitching pitching as was when it was in person now it's kind of a blend of in this environment and or you know hopefully back in in person is is similar i guess in terms of going to you know one of your your shows on a sunday at 7 30 p.m comedy store.com hashtag something or other i'll put the link in the chat comedy store players.com comedy store players.com um, <laughs> is that um you know the people that are going to be there because the client's told you that these are the characters that are going to be um, there. You know what time, what time it's going to start, what time it's going to um, finish. If you know where you're going to go, if it's in person or if it's going to be on Zoom or Teams or what have you. And the chances are you have probably already sent them a plan, i.e. the pitch, the pitch deck in some shape or in some shape or form that you hope they have uh, read through and um, I question whether they do always read through or is it just the executive summary and then the pricing and that's that's well, it <laughs> just like you didn't read my bio before the workshop we did Alex you can't blame them when you're just as bad I mean I'm no, I, I absolutely agree at least I got the video at least I read the, the rules in terms of getting the video to you you on, did send uh, me the video and you obeyed it to the letter which was uh, you know not too, it was 70 seconds uh, people sometimes send in four minutes I don't that's not 70 seconds. <laughs> but it's, and I have been guilty of this, but trying to coach people that they almost use that that plan to the, the pitch deck, if you will, as the framework, which I must get this messaging out. <clears throat> Whereas the client may suddenly, or they may go off on a tangent. So the offer is not what you um, expect or they may have suddenly brought a new character into the situation that you hadn't been aware of because maybe you hadn't asked the questions or they're trying to throw you um, a, a curveball and trying to give people the confidence that for the most part, because I work with some extraordinarily frighteningly bright people, that it's okay to not necessarily know the answer. And this is how you can react because fundamentally to you know to your point neil is that you kind of do need to go where the client wants to go if that makes if that sense and that that's then i can see how the the lager or laser lager um piece listen uh, accept give 
explore reply reincorporate so <laughs> or recycle recycle um, kind of re not just kind of i didn't say the r word didn't actually it tends <laughs> to be it's clever to bring back a thing later on you know something they said early and you kind of bring back in something they said early mm -hmm. back to a later story or, or explanation so i'm going to say to you I, I, somebody at one of my workshops said it's you might think it's bad to have not got through all the slides mm -hmm. But it's a good thing as it means you were talking. Now, I would say that's that's not an unreasonable feeling, but maybe have fewer slides. Yeah. So whether it's in virtual or in uh, face to face, you don't want to give them too much ahead of time. You don't want to have too much of a rigorous script. Mm -hmm. You want to have a lot of proportion of them talking and mentioning stuff you hadn't even thought about. But by the end, you want to come back to, should we say, your strapline or, or you've kind of created a strapline in the meeting, which kind of yeah, sums yeah. up, reincorporates their idea. And I'm more and more delighted by the idea of story. And I get to be, people think, oh, stories means telling the client what we've done. And that's fine. And uh, the more you can get a story in their head of, we've done something like this a bit before uh, with somebody a bit like you, but there's sometimes a story from an, another sector yeah but it's that got that sense of bringing ingenuity to life uh, sometimes you've then got to move and this is where the improv does help to the story of the future okay. which is how we are going to do it and and what the it is mm -hmm. and that's what i'm saying to people at some point you're so cleverly entwining the idea the offers of the client into the story saying okay so it's going to be a bit like this so it could be how we do the project together but also how it's going to be for people afterwards. So for your people or for the end user, the customer, the, mm -hmm. whoever that may be, the consumer. And so the story of what it's going to look like when you've done when you've done all your stuff. Now, you're a management consultant and that you can talk to, about that all day, about what you're going to do and how many spreadsheets and how many people you'll <laughs> utilize and la, la di la. But you kind of want to get the story of because of what we will have done, you mm -hmm. can do this better, yeah. quicker, cheaper, or the person you serve, whether it's in the public sector, it's the, it's the taxpayer or the, the in person on the street, mm -hmm. they're going to have a better life because of it. Um, and uh, Einstein had a brilliant thing, which is when you explain something, make it simple, but no simpler. And quite often people, uh, I think he also said, if, if you can't explain it simply, you probably don't understand it yourself. So it doesn't mean have no script, no slides, perhaps uh, send a few, but just enough to get them going. And um, again, this is where the research says that the elevator pitch isn't the be all and end all. It's got to be enough to get my interest. Yeah. Because the research says, and there's a guy called Daniel Pink, who's written mm -hmm. several books, yeah. one of which is to sell is human. And he said, and he recites some research two years in Hollywood where they looked at who was pitching ideas to people, agents, producers, studio executives. It wasn't just kind of the pitch, full stop, yes or no. It became, that was an opening to a conversation. And the more the would-be client, whether it's the studio executive or the agent, whoever, started saying, oh yeah, and this could happen, or what about this? Or they begin to envision the story they begin to see how it could work they offer ideas that could work they're kind of emotionally investing in it 
uh, and that's where good pitch can uh, be noticed because they start buying into it literally uh, emotionally so that when we come out some of their ideas have been involved or not but the eventual thing may look quite different but it's kind of it isn't just here's my idea yes or no you know the watch salesman opens up their suitcase which one do you like yeah it's kind of let's start a conversation and very often the number of times people have said i went in with an idea and came out with a different one or and this is where upselling happens Mm -hmm. especially with the firms uh, that you might encounter as well which is right we've done a great job here what else can we do mm-hmm. for you? Um, and just talking to the client, saying, what's keeping you up at night? What are you excited by? What have you noticed? Then you realize, and you can help them realize, that the thing you've done for them already is just part of what you could do. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, but you wouldn't know that if you just said, look, we've got five solutions. Which one do you want? Oh, you've, da- you've done one. We'll come back in three years' time. Uh, so that's where the improv comes in. So there's a bit of rubric, as you say, I've got Mm -hmm. a few slides or not even slides, but an idea uh, of what we might do. I might have some insight. Do we call this consultative selling? So you can at some point say- Something like that. Yeah, yeah, where you say to the client, well, I've noticed this about you. And they go, oh, hello. I'm going to say, you must change everything. I know all about you, you're rubbish. (laughs) You just might say, here's an insight that I've got, humbly held. Does that ring? true with you and then they suddenly might say well actually the real thing is this and you've kind of got to go all right i'll go with that and and this is where we become their thought partner uh their trusted advisor rather than just selling at them it's and as you're talking around the 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 storytelling piece and again i remember when 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 we worked on this is that where you are able or, or it makes sense when you're telling a story make the try and bring a character to life that represents the person on the other side of the table. So if you are pitching to a CMO, a CFO, CEO, whatever, give that person in your story a name, Bob, Sally, you know, even if they, even if you're kind of making it up, it's kind of by, by the by, because then they can start to anchor on that. And then you become invested in the store because they start to visualize the name and if you can then we were talking about if you can put it in a if you can put a place so working with you know an equivalent cmo called sally she was based up in birmingham and these are the things they can start to kind of hear in their head that oh i now want to kind of learn more because humans by nature we're curious creatures and if you can follow that um is it the disney kind of storytelling arc and all the things that we we talked about that then makes it more real rather than we did this for a bank <laughs> a nondescript <laughs> yes. bank going through almost the watchman's kind of list of feature products piece and they're like okay but i'm not a nondescript bank i'm a i'm a person i'm a human being with feelings so okay how does how is that going to really help me do what i need to do or help the clients or the customers and um uh, and so on that that in itself, and this then is coming back to you know the ten thousand hours, is hard, right? For some, for lots of people to kind of have the confidence to be able to get. It's not really per, is personal the right word, but get that kind of personal, I guess, in terms of that that storytelling narrative without it feeling a little bit kind of icky or or uncomfortable. Yeah, you're right. It, because we've spent so much time 
talking in the third person mm-hmm. and trying to be objective. And then suddenly, actually, what people want is subjective, which is how you felt about it, how Bob or Sally felt. And uh, Mike Myers, I don't know if he was quoting once, is for any story, you need a bit of fat on the bone to make the soup taste good. Because you could say, we went to a bank, we solved their problem, the end. <laughs> but as soon as you say, because you could, couldn't you? Yeah. And, and that'll be it. And there actually is a wonderful improv game, which is called Advance or Detail. So you were improvising a story and you, you know, I was walking down the street and then advance. Uh, then I got in a car and advance. I drove the car along the road. Advance. I stopped in Birmingham. OK, but you soon realize that when you play this with an audience or with another person, mm-hmm. they want a bit of detail. Yeah. I was walking along the street. What kind of street? Well, it was a beautiful street with trees and stream and I could smell. And then at some point, you advance. You kind of. And then I got in the car. What kind of car was it? Who was in the car? So detail. Well, it was a, it was a red car. It was being driven by this mysterious fellow wearing a hat. And then if I. And if I go on with too much detail, I'm bored. But if it's short, advance, 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 yeah. I'm bored as well. And so there's this beautiful dynamic between the two. And also, I demonstrate this game because there's somebody over there saying advance, somebody else going detail. <laughs> um, so different people want different things. Um, it's just such a great exercise because you might think that we're all left brain, advance, advance, get me to the end. And Someone broadly said that the kind of advance is the Hollywood movie, another mm-hmm. plot point, another car blown up, another baddie killed. A detail is French movie. It's all atmosphere. Nothing actually happens. Now, yeah. I'm obviously satirizing both ends of the mm-hmm. spectrum there. But um, I must say, when I have to go and watch with my teenage son some of these smash em up movies, I think I've seen this before. <laughs> and I've, they're just killing more people. And, and I don't. I, don't, I want to know who they are. I don't, I don't I, I want to uh, sort of care. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm bored. And they spent millions on this blowing up thing and CGI and stuff and thousands of extras. And I have no interest at all. I've got no emotional investment. Now, maybe I've seen too many, you know, when I was a lad that I, I, I feel I've, I've been through this narrative before. Um, but the the element we can all bring. And I always try to say to people, look, the stories you tell your mates when you're relaxing on a Friday night or round a barbecue, whatever, you bring all sorts of personal detail. You know how to pace it. Mm -hmm. Don't give away the end. You have moments of detail, colour. Oh, what could happen next? And then... What's clever about a story, and there's lots of neuroscience as well of that, when I hear a story, I see myself in it. And that's why, Alex, I know you cry at movies. I do. Uh, <laughs> well, exactly. We all do. Not because we're actually unhappy, but because yeah. we see ourselves in that person's life. And there's a science called there's mirror neurons, which is discovered. They were discovered in 1992 in Parma in Italy where some monkeys, when they ate their nuts, part of their brain lit up. And when they saw the lab assistant come in a few weeks later, and as they reached the lab assistant for their nut, <laughs> the monkey's brain lit up the same place. Mirror neurons. So in a story, there's all sorts of things where I see myself running, 
So it's the sensory cortex and the motor cortex are um, excited by either sensory, touch, feel, emotion, or even the motor cortex. So even if I see somebody running along in a film, I get a little, I'm a little bit tired. Um, and uh, you talking about Sally in Birmingham, a bit frustrated at her bank. I can feel that because I've been a bit frustrated. And um, does the name Sally mean something to me? Because it's a person. So we can all tell stories. We tell them to our mates. We tell them to our family. Um, there's no reason why we can't think a little bit about how I might tell uh, a past project as a story and also get the confidence to sort of say, sort of replay the client's story back to them. So what you're saying is you really want to have that family who used to be able, used to have to go to the bank. Mm -hmm. Now they've got an app or that person who can't get to the bank for some reason or is in another country, they can do it on the app now. Isn't that great? And there's all sorts of things where we can say, well, because I couldn't get to the bank, you know, <laughs> um, stuff's like getting to the bank. I used to have to do this because um, in showbiz, you don't earn much money at certain times <laughs> in your career. So I would have a credit card and you know how you kind of have three weeks or a month to pay it. So I always pay it on the last day where I didn't then incur extra interest. Yeah. Now, I had to, you know, make sure I got to the bank before 3.30 with my check. And it was two days or something because the check takes time to clear. Um, so just kind of sharing real life experiences yeah. with people and say, uh, bring that out to, well, oh, hang on a minute. That means if we did X, that person's life would be uh, easier. That's that's the personal thing you're talking about. You don't have to say, you know, um, my mother bullied me. My father was a bastard, whatever. <laughs> and my marriage is in tatters. You just say, Sally, or don't we all have, find that thing when we are yeah. stuck in in the um, in a place without cash or whatever? Uh, and then, oh, yeah, that's me. I've been there. Here's a solution. I think that you, and again, what's, what's interesting in terms of um you know back to the daniel pink piece around selling is you know is is human or i, I paraphrase is there's starting and there's a narrative now starting to come out in kind of more in just kind of broad b2b sales that people are over indexing on the science and the data and the sequences and the the, the strategy rather than necessarily actually realizing that fundamentally for the most part and certainly in our world of, of, of consulting and when you're you know larger enterprise deal sizes that take longer that there's, there, there are people involved in this and talk to them as human beings rather than necessarily a a number or a data point in a um uh, in, in a system but also um around the, the improv if someone reacts to something you say or do you don't necessarily know they could have had a bad start today. They could have had the, you know, talking about trying to get children to go to bed. Oh, for my four-year-old and our seven-year-old, it's every night. It's just a constant battle. You have to kind of gear yourself up for it. I don't know why children choose that moment in time just to be extraordinarily difficult. Because um, of power. They, they know yeah. when they've got power over you. <laughs> um, it's that it could well be that at that moment in time, that person's just having a shitty day. And it's just not, it's not you, it's not the situation. And sometimes there's nothing one can can do about that, which goes back to your point around having a loose plan, 
but sometimes plans go wrong, right? Plans don't, don't, don't go to plan. So don't take it too hard that it's actually directed at you. It could be at the situation. It could be any number of, um, uh, any number of, uh, of things. How, how is the world, how is the world, this is a really stupid question, but how is this, how is what you do changed in terms of trying to then do it through the, this medium? So obviously for our listeners, you're listening, but for those that are, that are watching in trying to take the larger effect, if <clears throat> the larger effect, if you will, an approach, but an environment where it's harder to read cues, it's harder to get a sense of the room, as it were. Any tips or thoughts or observations that you, you've seen over the last kind of two years doing what you do but in this environment? Well, I basically said, I'm going to treat every Zoom call like an improv show. Mm -hmm. So the more I can get from my audience, the better. So I did research and there's obviously virtual teams have existed prior to the pandemic. And the research said, keep it going. Keep, keep changing the dynamic every three to five minutes. Don't be speaking too long. Get people to put things in chat. Mm -hmm. uh, change the picture, maybe a different slide. Animate the screen. I'm holding my hands up. Yeah. And I'm trying to make my voice go. And, and I do things that I'm allowed to as a comedian. So I delve in. And sadly, Alex, uh, you've got your lovely virtual background there. But there was a big green something in your background that I spotted. Was. I was there up. is. <laughs> what is that big green thing? My green screen. Your green screen, all oh, right, because it looked like a rather nice door. But there you go, your green screen. Um, <laughs> but there's also there was a kind, there were some banisters and some stairs. And yeah, so I literally sort of peer into your life and say, "Oh, what's going on with that banister? What's going on?" And I'm also you've told me about your four and seven year old, and mm -hmm. I'm interested. And I'll be thinking, "Oh, well, yeah, I've I had children who uh, were four and seven, and what did we do? Well, you know, my my wife just kind of that was it. It's bedtime. Yeah. Brooke, no argument. <laughs> um, and, and it was very much, this is a given. This is a routine. Mm -hmm. So no improv, if you like. <laughs> and we all felt happy about it because we put them to bed at seven. And then, um, dare I say, occasionally a glass of wine might appear at five past seven. Um, but what I do is try and interact with the audience as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And we can all do this. And I say yep. things like, if you come on the call early, Great. Get chatting. How was your day? How cheesed off are you? So those things you mentioned about yeah. coming across a customer who's maybe not had such a good day. Uh, the, again, the science says if we've had a chat as a team, uh, we've had some discussions that are social, then when we get to the task, it's going to be easier to achieve. Um, don't make things last for too long. We tend to get bored after 20 minutes. Yeah. I tend to think about one episode of Neighbours is about my attention span. <laughs> So I need, so don't make your if meetings too long. We used to have maybe an hour and we break it up with a cup of tea or yeah. biscuit and the break it up into two half hours. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sitting down now, but when I present, I tend to stand up. Um, there's a man called Mark Bowden, who is a body language expert, mm -hmm. quickly zoomed in on Zoom. <laughs> so Zoom is his client now. How do we make body language work in Zoom? So he said things like, Make sure your background does have something yep. that tells us who you are. And then, of course, I might ask you a question about it. And I say, well, I like fishing as well. Or, oh, that's interesting. I've, I had no idea about fishing. Why does it make you so excited? And so you, get, you begin to, to create commonality. So all the time I'm looking for offers. What is it that this person cares about? 
and I'm noticing because I can see your face now quite close and you can see mine. Whereas if I'm in a boardroom, I might have to peer around. Mm -hmm. So take advantage. We are getting some data, some facial, emotional data, uh, tone of voice. Because, you know, if I'm really not that interested in the project, my voice will give it away. Uh, things like chat. So I get people to say, where are you? Not yep. just which, where in the world, but are you in the living room? Are you in the cupboard under the stairs? Are you in the garden shed? Um, again, oh yes, we've all had that thing where we're, we're stuck in the spare bed and there's embarrassing things in, in the background. Um, what have you got on your feet? Shoes, socks, yeah. nothing. So all of the things I can do because I'm a comedian, but I say to people, actually, we're all human beings. So mm -hmm. talking about commonalities, bringing out what we can of who they really are and also asking questions like what's not gone well in business right now um getting people to put things in chat a very important thing thing is um get people to speak early okay the longer you leave it for somebody to say something the harder they'll find it so that's why I talk about the weather talk about the background talk about i can't get my computer to work uh, my green screens all over the shop um, get people who might not say something to put things in chat and say, oh, that's interesting, Alex, tell me more about that. No. So you're, draw you're trying to be the host of a party. Uh, obviously, uh, try and pe say people's names. So rather than going, what do, you what do you think about X? And nobody says anything, just no. tumbleweed. You say, um, you mentioned this, John, or what do we think about this? Put it in the chat. And, oh, right. And then somebody puts it in chat. Tell me more about that. Unmute. So you're all the time trying to get the conversation going in the same way you would face to face, dare I say. And I'll give some examples of this with your own company. I worked with a group who are in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So they have a, a solution for water companies and sort of telling them how much we waste. And this is where data is a story. Yeah. If you're wasting 30%, 7% of, of the water that's going through your pipes, that's a bad story. If you're wa wasting 0.37, that's not too bad. But yep. so sometimes figures can be a good story. Mm -hmm. You see, but unless I'm bombarding with, with too many facts and I get lost. Um, so they were saying to a client, this is our solution. This is how we can help. We've got these brilliant data things. And then while someone on the client side said, after about half an hour, actually, John, um, you haven't said much. What do you think? And John said, well, it's pretty good, but I don't think we need it. <laughs> so brilliantly, that was an offer. Yeah. They were able to say, well, actually, we have data, not only on how good our thing is, but how bad you, the need is for it. Yeah. So it's all very well me saying, look at this shiny watch, but you've already got three watches and a grandfather clock. Who cares? Yeah. So finding out, pointing out a little bit of, of what their the customer pain points are, dare I say, um, rather than just saying, look, we've got a brilliant thing. So what's, how could we help what you're specifically uh, doing? So so the kind of his sort of block was, well, I don't think we need it. Yeah. It was a brilliant entree. And thanks to their, the client side going, what do you think? We could then say, oh yeah, well, this is the data we have. And then by the end, of course, they were much more interested. So uh, my main thing is both face-to-face -face and zoom teams is get the other person talking the more they talk the more you get of what's what matters to them it makes them feel comfortable 
um, the chemicals that are released when we talk about ourselves and make us feel good. Mm -hmm. Dopamine. Uh, I'm feeling fantastic now because I'm talking about myself all the time. <laughs> Don't you feel that? <laughs> Absolutely. And and this is and this is the old and again this is the old adage coming. This start this narrative that starts starting to come out in kind of B2B sales broadly across all kind of broad pieces that just don't hide behind email, we're all guilty of it, don't hide behind email, don't hide behind text, don't hide behind the, the turning the camera off, just sometimes just picking up the phone and just having a conversation with somebody, be it a cold call, be it somebody you haven't spoken to in a while, be it in, you know, in, in a, a, a pitching environment. And if I go back way back when, so when I was in my recruitment days and the training, you know, we were told, it's uh, you've got two of these and one of these use it in that order you've got two ears and one mouth you listen digest replay and kind of and kind of go go with it so it's it's please it's, <laughs> sales is sales right negotiations and negotiations it's been as uh, been a, the same for as long as this concept has been has, has been around and it's when you sit and talk talk it through with through with you and I'm just in my mind going, yeah, I don't do enough of that. I need to do, I need to do more of that. I'm going to try, I'm going to try uh, this. I'm going to see if I can rearrange, rearrange the background so it's a little bit tidy, but have something unique in it and see if people pick up on um, uh, pick up on that. But I think that's a great way or a great place to kind of um, bring this to a natural close in terms of let them do the talking, let them talk um, early. I know you've been plugging in a little bit, Neil, but where, where can people find you, A, if they want to uh, work with you, and B, if they actually want to come and see you in, uh, in action? Well, uh, I perform with the Comedy Store Players every Sunday, comedystoreplayers.com. Uh, Neil Malarkey is my name. Hopefully it'll be spelt right in the notes underneath this. Uh, neilmalarkey.com is my website, and I'd love to hear from you uh, via the website, via LinkedIn. Neil Malarkey is my username on Twitter and on Instagram. And so I, I, I'd love to hear people's stories, really. So today I got one from somebody who said, oh, I did a session for you some years ago and now I've moved to this company. I'd love to hear that. So because every person's got a story. Uh, so it'd be, loved, it'd be great to hear it from, from people. Uh, and hopefully they'll find my name, Neil Malarkey. Perfect. Uh, I'll put all the my real name. That is your perfect. Is, I didn't didn't think otherwise. It wouldn't be your, <laughs> your real name. I'll put all the um, uh, links in the chat. I'll put the links into the podcast for those who are listening. So um, do mention this if you are reaching out. That's a horrible, horrible term. You're getting in touch with Neil. Um, do mention that you listened to uh, to this. Um, as I said, listeners, this is our hundredth episode. So thank right. you so much. Yeah, hundredth. I should have found an air horn sound behind uh, by this. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you, listeners, for being on this journey with me the, all, all the way through. It's been great fun. It means you get to great meet, meet great people like um, uh, like Neil. If you want to be on this podcast, you know what to do. Just just uh, get in touch with me. If you want to recommend people to be on this podcast, you know what to um, to do. Otherwise, um, with the hundredth episode now uh, wrapped, all I can say is Neil, thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time and uh, insights uh, on all of this. And um, to my listeners, as ever, thank you. Without you, this would be nothing. Neil, thank you. Thank you so much. And listen up to Alex. He's a great dude. It's been <laughs> enormous fun. Thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs>